0: Disloyal is a podcast committed to a broad representation of thought, ideas, and creative imaginings. The opinions expressed by guests on this podcast do not necessarily represent the opinions of the staff, management, board, or volunteers of the Jewish Museum of Maryland.
1: I feel the magic that is woven in to our culture. And also side note, that's meant to be shared. You know, Judaism welcomes people to share our culture with others outside of our culture and and people are welcome to convert though we don't proselytize. But this magic is part of us reclaiming our sense of belonging and remembering what's been forgotten or downplayed in lieu of more dominant practices or exclusive practices.
0: Welcome to Disloyal, a podcast from the Jewish Museum of Maryland. I'm Naomi Weintraub, community artist in residence here at the Jewish Museum of Maryland and production assistant for the Disloyal podcast. And welcome back to Disloyal. We've been on a production break for much of the summer, but we're coming back with a brand new series exploring our current exhibit, Blacklist, the Hollywood Red Scare, which is on view at the museum until October 31st, 2022. But this week, we have a special episode about one of my favorite holidays, Tuba Av. It's a summer full moon festival that celebrates love, dancing, and the moon. And today, I'm joined by Rebecca Arab to talk about it. Rebecca Arab is an artist, a teacher, and a Kohenet, Rebecca is a co-creator of the Queer Mikvah Project, a collaborator on the Olam Chabad Dreaming the World to Come Planner Project, and a creator of the Moon Angels Malacha Levana Oracle Deck and the In Progress Golden Oracle. Rebecca Erev, thanks so much for joining us on Disloyal. Thanks for having me, Naomi. Really great to be here. So I was wondering if you want to introduce yourself, that would be really great.
1: Yeah, I'm really glad to be here. It's an exciting week for me with the release of the indwelling Dreams of Olam Haba 5783 planner. We just put it out there in the world. And Tubab is also one of my favorite holidays too. So I'm excited to talk about it and
0: bond over this
1: love earth-based queer holiday.
0: Tell us about your Olam Haba Planner Project and the importance and process of creating an object which honors and lifts up Jewish time.
1: Yeah, so Dreaming the World to Come is the name of the project, and it's a concept in Jewish thought often referred to as Olam Haba, and it's a project I do with Nomi Lam, an old friend and collaborator of mine, and we also welcome in 12 to 13 contributors each year to write different rituals and reflections on each of the Hebrew months. The kind of conception of the project is that it is this collaborative and collective dreaming project. So we're interested in reimagining time and how we're relating to time. And part of our, our vision of the world to come is a place where the voices of the diaspora of the past, of the future, of the present are, are celebrated and diaspora is our identity as Jews. So yeah, it's a planner where you can write down your actual dreams or you can write down your lists for the day or you can write down your waking dreams. But it's also a place to reflect on what are we building together and how are we living this idea of Olam Haba through our, our actions and our collective work for justice, um, for reparations, for queer and trans liberation, for indigenous liberation, for abolition, and for honoring the gorgeous world that we live in. We've been making this physical object of the planner, but we, we're, you know, we've conceived of it as more than just this one ritual object of, of a community building project. We've hosted a Rosh Hodesh circle for the past year. We're about to launch our podcast, Dreaming the World to Come and interviewing our contributors on that podcast and helping people reorient to Judaism from Earth-based feminist, liberatory perspective.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'm just personally really moved by this project, so hearing you talk about it is really energizing for me as an artist as well, and it's like guided this year for me. Like the planner every day, I'm like coming back to it, and it's, it is this like ritual object for me that has helped me feel super grounded, so I'm, I'm personally very grateful. One thing I really love about the planner that I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about is every Jewish month, you'll share a plant, you'll share the
1: body. Yeah, a, a body a, part. A letter. The yeah. Sign, so that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? The choice of giving people like tokens of, of information about each of the months. Sure. Well,
1: I myself as a Capricorn love Categoron and categorizations. <laughs> and I think a lot of us do love those associations because they really help us hook in with things that we relate to in our daily life. So astrology, especially the last handful of years has be- had become- garnered such a pop following and the Hebrew letters are something that even if We didn't really learn Hebrew. Many of us know the shapes and the symbols of them. And these connections between the month and the letters, a plant, the astrological signs, the archetypes come from a variety of places. I've been in this five year or so research project around the letters, and for longer than that, been studying. The Sefer Yetzirah, the book of creation, which is also connected to another big interest of mine, incantation bowls, which were likely written around the same time in a time in the world when Jews were living. Well, some Jews were already in diaspora, but there were Jews living in Palestine, Syria, around this area, Iraq and In community with other cultures. So Zoroastrians, Christians, and they didn't always get along famously, but there also was a sharing of cultures. So that's my interest in these objects in a lot of ways. And because they're magical documents of how people practiced and The Sefer Yetzirah is this pre-Kabbalistic mystical text, and it's pretty short. I was introduced to it by my teacher, Jill Hammer, who wrote a wonderful book called Return to the Place about the Sefer Yetzirah that I would highly recommend. In that book, there are connections between the letters and months and astrological signs and body parts. And then the tarot connections with the letters follow the major arcana go in order from Aleph to Tav following through each of the tarot archetypes so that's how you find the letter connections there there is another school of thought about it too but that's the more mainstream common connection and Then the archetypes we use in the planner come from the Kohenet Institute and connections with the different months and letters. So that's where some of that stuff comes from. I mean, mean, these archetypal connections are also ones other people besides the Kohenet Institute have explored at length. Um, Rabbi Tirza Firestone, Rabbi Lynn Gottlieb, other people that I've learned from as well. But the, that system of connecting them with each of the months comes from Kohenet. And then the plants, the connection with the plants for each of the months are connections that I made and through research, through talking to friends, through know me and I's talks and this ongoing class I taught for two years and continue to teach called Embodying the Hebrew Letters. So we're connecting plants with and animals with each of the letters, which is part of another bigger ongoing project that I'm working on of making an oracle deck.
0: Awesome. Thank you for sharing that wisdom. So I think I'm going to shift into asking you a little bit about Tuba Av. So can you briefly explain what Tuba Av is?
1: Yeah, Tuba Av is the 15th of Av. The Hebrew month of Av, Av means father or ancestor in Hebrew, and it comes six days after Tisha B'av, which is our holiday of inconsolable grief, where we're commemorating the destruction of the first and second temple, and that has become a day of grieving more global um, harms as well. So. A lot of my framing around Tisha B'Av right now is very much around the destruction of the earth and the destruction of that colonialism has done, and white supremacy and patriarchy. So we have this time where we're really in grief, feeling it fully in community around that, and then we transition to. This holiday of love, Tuba'av. And one of the first parts of Tuba'av in ancient times, um, how I've been how I've learned about this holiday and how I like to remember it, because often the story is told in a very gendered way, and I like to tell it in a more non-binary way. So in ancient times, The people who wanted to be the dancers took a piece of white clothing and they went to the mikvah and down to the water somewhere, maybe in the river, and they cleansed their clothes, their white clothing, and everybody was together doing it. Um, This is maybe where we can start to kind of queer this holiday of Probably people were naked. Maybe they were wearing their wet clothes and they took it off and put it, you know, just enjoying the world, enjoying their bodies, and rinsing off the grief. Because not only had they just experienced Tisha B'Av, but they had also been in three weeks of mourning pre Tisha B'Av as well. This holiday of Tuba'av is this transition out of grief into, you know, when we grieve, we open ourselves to experience the love and the joy that's also present because our grief is often at losing a connection or losing someone or something that gave us joy and connection. So here they are, they're washing their clothes off and then they are trading clothes. So not sure exactly how the sizing worked on all of this with different bodies, but the idea was to equalize around economic status, and that was the intention for treating the clothes. So you would be wearing something that wasn't your own. And then you would go out, it was a celebration of the grapes ripening and the beginning of harvesting them. And you would go out into the fields into and out into the vineyards, and dance among the grapevines. And then there will be the people watching from the outside and watching these dancers, these people just ecstatically celebrating their own ripening, their own joy, their own transition, and what we know will come of the grapes, which will be juice and wine and delicious fruit to feed and the community and what is drinking wine, but also another transition of states. And then the idea was you would meet your love. And perhaps that was just a lover for the evening. Maybe it was a lover for a few weeks. Maybe you found a couple lovers. Maybe you formed a triad. And maybe you met your Bichert who you will pair with for your life. And although I also am a believer that people have many bisherts, and that maybe that lover for the night was also a bisher, but might not be a partner kind of thing. So yeah, this is this is the holiday, how it was celebrated in ancient times. And yeah.
0: I love the picture you just painted for us, like, and and also the connection to the mikvah I hadn't known before either, and that's really exciting. I'm excited to talk more about that. So you're teaching a course called Jewish Magic and Art. Do you know of any magical or artistic aspects of Tuba Av?
2: Yeah, so I
1: think all of it's magical, <laughs> and something last summer I did with a Jewish magic class is we. Each took a piece of white cloth and we dipped it in wine or grape juice. and then we tied it together, and we danced around with this circular kind of that's the other part of Tuba a that falls on the new the full moon. So it's a full moon um holiday as well. So these tied together pieces and then we laid them around the altar, represent the the full moon as well. I think magic is in whatever you intend it to be. So the whole festival to me is magical. And um, I've been a part of a tuba of parade with a goat with flowers all over it. And just hanging out with friends and talking about love. Nomi had a great idea to do like a Jewish singles you know, personal ads for two or something. So anything that celebrates love to me feels magical. And this holiday is, is nothing
0: less. That's beautiful. I think something that really resonates from the A World to Come Olam Haba project is that idea of like reclaiming holidays and rituals and tradition and it, and, it, and it's down and, and tuba Av is extremely ripe for that I've found that throughout my life too like it was first introduced to me in a very like queer gay way and it's always been funny to me now to when I'll be like let's celebrate tuba Av, and people will kind of be like I don't know if I want to do that because they don't know like my interpretation or like these new and exciting ways that we can reclaim the holiday but yeah I mean I'm curious what you think in general just about the concepts of reclaiming Jewish ritual and tradition and why that's important or if you think it's important I
1: do I I think it's important because it's been so meaningful to me personally I grew up in a very assimilated household and our connection with Judaism was around Hanukkah with my grandparents or Rosh Hashanah with my grandparents who, but we didn't belong to a synagogue and you know i grew up in a very christian town and area so i you know asked my mom if i could have a bat mitzvah i you know engaged our family in judaism and that was me working to find meaning and where i found meaning as a child and teenager was in trees and my imagination and spending time outside and the fireflies I grew up around on the East coast and feeling the wind in my hair, biking around it was, or being creative and, and moments of having experiences that where I felt connected to my ancestors And to my grandparents, I'm very close with my grandparents. So, you know, we make meaning where we find it and that things become relevant if we relate to them and that we can all relate to animal companions or friends that we've had and experiences with them In whatever small or big ways we can all relate to daydreams or sleeping dreams, we can all relate with the feeling of being together with people we love and singing or praying, even if it was tiny small things. You know, even if it was just like, nobody really knows the blessings for lighting the Hanukkah candles. We're going to look it up every year and try and kind of like get the tune wrong or whatever. But there's something still magical about it because our cells remember people have done this before. So my journey has been the more I search, the more I find what's particularly meaningful to me and others who are also interested in those things too, and building community around that. And colonialism and white supremacy and patriarchy have done a number on all of us and on Judaism and on mainstream Judaism. And it never felt right to me, this very Zionist connection with Judaism It just that didn't feel like what I had experiences with or what I knew. And the more I learned about what Palestinians have been experiencing and the history of colonialism, the more I can't use that to relate with Judaism. I need to find other paths and that finding other queer Jews who were interested in that is what's excited me and helped me move forward and find fun, creative ways to do things. And and really they're the most simple things a lot of the time is really lighting the Shabbat candles. That's a pretty simple thing. But if you bring the light into your body and around you to protect yourself, If you get candles from a friend who makes beautiful beeswax candles, if you like I do from Jonah Aline Daniel, if I if if you welcome your ancestors, just the energy of the your loving, benevolent ancestors around you, you kind of start to feel them and then you feel them a little bit more and then you feel them a little bit more. And if you look in each other's eyes after you say the blessing and see the candle reflected in each other's eyes, all those things become meaningful and give you this felt experience of connection and belonging to something. And it takes work. I think that a lot of times people are like, magic, it's something special that's kind of hard to grasp. Well, we're all going through that. And we're all trying to make it meaningful and for ourselves. And that wrestling that us Jews are so famous for doing is part of the finding a sense of belonging. The point of capitalism and white supremacy and patriarchy is to make a good deal of the population feel other, a sense of otherness, and it's based on extraction. And that is not magic to me. When I hear about People throughout the diaspora and their relationship with the evil eye. And the evil eye, across the board, you know, and this is, you know, a symbol that's beyond Judaism and that has been shared in many cultures is when someone looks at you and is jealous, they're giving you the evil eye. And then there's all this protection. That people need to do on this, the spitting, the putting your hand up, the different herbs and and plants that will protect you from the evil eye that'll protect your children from the evil eye because the evil eye attracts demons, attracts sickness, uh, attracts um, depression. and that to me is our ancestors' wisdom of understanding there are other forces in this world besides the benevolent ones and we are all susceptible to them so when someone projects onto us the values of white supremacy or patriarchy or capitalism which are jealousy and envy then we need to protect ourselves from that and to me that's such deep wisdom and it's these teachings that are a thread throughout time in Judaism of focus on benevolence, focus on the goodness of the protective energies, the caring energies of the loving of oneself and others. And let's help those who are engaging with these white supremacist patriarchal things that get into all of us of jealousy and envy Let's help protect, not just ourselves, but protect the other person. Because if it's a widespread cultural value to be protecting from the evil eye, we're all saying, we don't want that energy. That's not what we want. We want something else. And we want this kindness. We want benevolence. We want people to thrive together and I think that's part of why magical practices have been suppressed in Judaism, because we had to assimilate to patriarchy in order to survive in many ways in this world that was of patriarchy and white supremacy that was become so widespread, unfortunately.
0: Got my evil eye right here. <laughs> and yeah, I I mean. It's funny to hear you talk about, or not funny, but it's interesting to me to hear you talk about the evil eye in relationship to like jealousy and extraction. Because I was feeling a ton of like fear for in the in winter, I couldn't like shake like this fear feeling, and I put the evil eye on my keychain as kind of a way to just give myself like an anchor of like I'm doing at least one thing to like almost telling myself like okay, the fear is acknowledged like the evil eye is acknowledging the fear and now you can go and like live your day even if it like and just even if this is like just a note way of me being like Naomi your fear has been like seen you know and so and that witnessing and like putting intention or just like placing a container on something it's something I learned from Jewish tradition and like is really built into when I notice these patterns of magic as well It's, it's about like noticing and taking pause and, and like witnessing yourself almost too.
1: I feel the magic that is woven in to our culture and also side note that's meant to be shared, you know, Judaism welcomes people to share our culture with others outside of our culture and, and people are welcome to convert though. We don't proselytize, but this magic is part of us reclaiming our sense of belonging and remembering what's been forgotten or downplayed in lieu of more dominant practices or exclusive practices.
0: So you were talking about the concept of basheret earlier, which can be translated as soulmate. Can you explain what basheret means and what you think about that concept? Okay, Yeah. So my concept of
1: beshert is meant to be, yes, it can be translated as a soulmate. And, you know, I've officiated many weddings and that was, has been part of my work in the world. And I always talk about beshert in a wedding ceremony. But I think this capitalistic idea that you won't have one beshert or it's a romantic sexual partner is different than my conception, because I think we have many people who can be bishop to us and feel the soul recognition with, and they may be a handful or 10 people that we kind of travel with from lifetime to lifetime, our soul group. And when we meet them in our lives, we recognize them and they recognize us, hopefully. And sometimes those are really difficult relationships. Sometimes they're really beautiful and difficult relationships, and sometimes they're relationships that last for a short time, and sometimes they're relationships that last for a longer time. But I I think that even expanding the concept even more feels really right to me of you can do work in the world or find something you're interested in that feels beshared, that you're meant to engage with, or a movement where you feel really at home and your soul's calling is awakened within.
0: So I think it can be a lot of things. So you've written about and have a course called Your Most Treasured Commitment, A Guide to Deepening Self-Love. Can you tell us why you decided to create this course and anything else that you want to share about it? Yeah, that course came
1: out of an experience I had of doing something similar myself. So I married myself maybe 13 years ago and wrote
2: a long vow to myself. And in front of friends
1: with flowers and witnesses. And that was, I I think I did that maybe it was 14 years ago, right before I started my Kohenet training. So it was part of my transition into more fully actualizing my gifts and service to the world. And I wanted to share that work with other people and help provide some kind of guide to do that
2: and to become your own Bashir.
0: I'm personally very interested in it. That's why I wanted to include it in here. And like, I'm doing a lot of stuff thinking about self-compassion. And so, yeah, I'm like, yeah, well, I guess that's actually a question for you. Like, um, you know, the, the course specifically says, like, deepening self-love. How would you define self-love? And, um, yeah, maybe what are ways that people can engage with that on, too, Bob? Oh,
2: that's a great question. One of the many
1: ways to cultivate self-love is by finding our joys. What gives us joy? in life and noticing
2: those moments and
1: cultivating them, appreciating them. A friend told me once there are three components to a fulfilling life, savoring awe and and gratitude. So savoring those moments of delicious food or laughing with a friend, or making yourself laugh, or dancing, singing, reading whatever is giving you joy and delight, and noticing it and relishing it, and awe feeling when you know i I experience awe as a practice that, yes, there are moments in life where you see a beautiful sunset or the ocean after a long time or hear an incredible performance or or something and that feeling of awe feels more on the surface but that day to day practice of experiencing awe of the way that your our bodies
2: have sensation and can see Details or hear music, or um, touch another person
1: and feel contact. or notice the moon, this big rock in the sky. Wow.
2: And then feeling gratitude for all of those things of. To me, gratitude is a pause. Just even if just for a moment,
1: oh, thank you for letting me have that moment of giving me that moment of awe of gratitude, thank you for this collaboration between myself, my body, my spirit, and the rest of existence in this in this life because
2: there are a lot of difficult things in life that we indoor and there's
1: a lot of despair that we're working on overcoming collectively and a lot of grieving to do and that the the sweet moments or even the moments of awe aren't even always sweet there I mean it can be awe in horror in ways too of that this exists but being present to what's happening that's the gift
0: so that's Rebecca Arev. Rebecca Arev is an artist, kohenah, and teacher. Rebecca is a co-creator of the Queer Mikvah Project, a collaborator on the Olam Habah Dreaming the World to Come Planner Project, and a creator of the Moon Angels Malacha Lebanah Oracle Deck, and the In Progress Golden Oracle. Rebecca Arev, thanks so much for joining us on Disloyal. My pleasure. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in to Disloyal. We hope you enjoy the podcast and we'd love to hear your feedback. Visit disloyalpodcast.com or send us an email to disloyal at jewishmuseum.org. You can follow us on Twitter at jewishmuseummd or on Instagram at jewishmuseum underscore md. If you're in Baltimore, come visit the JMM. Go to jewishmuseummd.org for more information and to become a member if you're interested in supporting content like this podcast. Disloyal is a production of the Jewish Museum of Maryland, and it's produced by Mark Gunnery, with production assistance from me, Naomi Weintraub. Our executive director is Saul Davis. You can subscribe to Disloyal wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, take care.